Amen. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. As we do that, children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. Um, when, we, when we play the very first song, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you've got young children and they want to go to children's church, if you just take them out that door, uh, someone will guide them to where they need to go, and you will be able to enjoy uh, and focus on the message um, if, if you need that. Uh, well, while we were while we were having the initial uh, collection during the service, the um, the fellowship fund offering, my son decided that he was going to try to try to try to improvise, and he said, "Can you say children are dismissed to praise factory when this is done?" Uh, <laughs> it's crafty. I, I congratulated him on his creativity, but I said, "You got to wait a little bit." Um, so we're going to read Matthew 7.1, we're going to pray, and then we will uh, hear what it is that the Lord has to say to us from his word. You cannot hear me. Now I will be loud. There we go. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Tiffany. Appreciate it, your support. Matthew 7, starting in verse 1, says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we resume our time in the book of Matthew, we are aware that you are on your throne in heaven. As the scriptures say, all things have been submitted to your feet. You are ruler of everything, and yet we do not see all things submitted to you at this time. Your father is still transforming and changing the world and bringing all that he has determined to pass. That means that there are many who are disobedient to your way and your will, though it is good, as we will see the world would be a better place if we were to obey your commands. And yet, Father, we confess, Lord Jesus, we confess that there are many times that in disobedience we quench the Spirit in our lives by breaking your commandments. We are saved on the basis of your work, Lord Jesus, and yet the mission to advance your kingdom by making disciples and loving others in the way that you've commanded us is often short-circuited by our disobedience. And so we come before you this morning, Lord, and we say that you are the judge. You are the one who gives us commands to be obeyed and calls us into that obedience. And we rightly feel condemnation when we break your commands. 
we thank you for the good news of the gospel. And that means that we can come to you and say, we have failed. We have sinned. We have broken your word. And you say it is forgiven. And you accept us and love us, not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of your grace. As we turn to you in repentance and dependence, you fill us with the spirit and enable us to carry out your commands. And so we pray this morning, as we look through this word, that we would absorb the conviction where necessary and say, that's me. That we would hold tight to the gospel and where we say, that's me, we will also say, that is not the end of me. This does not undo me. I do not need to give up. Instead, we would say, the gospel is for me. And the spirit is within me. And so I can leave behind this sin, this hypocrisy, this unrighteousness. And run the race and live out the mission that you've called me to by your grace and for your glory. We pray that you would encourage and help us, Lord, to be obedient. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> As we begin a, a series in, in Matthew 7, the, the theme that I'm going to be focusing on is this idea of making right turns. That there are going to be these moments where we will say this is the right and acceptable behavior in our culture but Jesus calls me to make a different decision to instead of doing what my culture does and turning left I turn to the right towards the good towards what Jesus calls me to and we'll be taking a little bit of a of a of a road sign focus as we as we think about doing the right but as we surrender our sense of what is okay and what is normal and we embrace Jesus' kingdom commands, we will be part of advancing his kingdom. There is a certain kind of growth and knowledge that only comes when we say, I understand what is true and what is right and what God calls me to do and I'm going to act on it. There's, there's something that I can know that it is good and right for me to wash the dishes after supper when my wife has worked all day and she has cooked and this is her life, her energy kind of tanks at the end of the day. I can know that it is good for me to do those dishes and not do them, right? There is something that you learn when you obey, when you do what is good and right you learn that, that life is sweeter, right? You know, and that, that uh, the wife is happier, right? And as they say, happy wife, happy life, okay? So um, we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about how obedience advances God's kingdom. Obedience does not save us, but we are saved to be a people who are zealous for good works and good works require that we hear Jesus commands and say yes Lord and obey them uh, I have a, a bad habit of neglecting certain things in my life um, little things which can become big things right I'm not the greatest at changing my wiper blades 
I'm also not the greatest at, at getting that blue fluid and keeping the tank full, right? And so there are these seasons, we've just come through one, where if you don't have enough fluid in the wiper tank, what is that, windshield wiper fluid tank, right? What happens is, is, is the pollen combines with a small degree of wet and forms this impenetrable scum, <laughs> right? A crust, yeah. Uh, some kind of buildup on the windshield and visibility declines, right? Sometimes that's not absolutely horrible because you can still see through that little band <laughs> on the window, right? Where, where the windshield wiper fluid just manages to spit out that little blob <laughs> and, and it clears that one little strip and you can drive like this. You know? But when, when you have zero visibility, you have no idea what's in front of you, even though you might be completely familiar with where you are, right? It's the, it's the stuff that's not normally in the road that's the problem, other cars, human beings. <laughs> visibility is important. Jesus condemns judging. Why? Not just because it's bad but because judging obscures our ability to see our mission. Judging destroys our ability to live our Christian mission to its full capacity. If we don't clear out this habit in obedience and service to Christ, we will never reach our full potential. It's a limiting factor. It's an immature behavior that may masquerade as maturity. And if we don't deal with it, if we don't leave it behind, if we don't regularly clear off our windshield, we will miss opportunities and blessings that the Lord is sending our way. Let's take a look at the outline of this section. If you're looking at Matthew 7.1, verse 1 is the command. Judge not that you be not judged. The second part of verse 1 and then verse 2 is the rationale for obedience. Verses 3 through 4 give us a parable or an illustration of the truth. And then verse 5 drives to the deep meaning, the mission that we can miss. So let's, let's jump in. The command is a prohibition. Judge not. Let's talk about what's not being prohibited here, okay? Because that's important. If we, just, if we just clear away a bunch of debris, you won't sit there and mentally object as I go through this and say, but what about, but what about, but what about? Let's just, but what about for a moment, okay? What is not prohibited here is the use of our critical faculty by which we are able and expected to make value judgments and choose between different policies and plans or actions, okay? Like if, if you drive, if, if your car is broken down in your driveway and you're like, hey, I need a mechanic and the mechanic decides he's gonna come and visit you and as he comes, there's like smoke coming out of the back of his car and his wheels are like, bloop, 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 you know? And, and he pulls up and like the bumper falls off his car and the lights don't work. You're like, hmm, I wonder if I should let this guy fix my car, right? You know, that's not prohibited. That's called discernment. And it is a good thing to cultivate. You are, you are encouraged and allowed to use the brain that God has given you 
to be critical about your plans of action or making value judgments. You're able to do that and expect it, okay? Jesus and others encourage this in the scriptures. John 7, 24, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment, okay? The Bible says two different things. What shall we do? Let's think about it, okay? Let's evaluate it. Galatians 1.8, we're called to distinguish between true teaching and false. Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's pretty judgy, Paul. That's okay. As we've said before, and so I now say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, that was verse 8, I just read, this is verse 9, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed, he says it twice, doubly judgy. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual spirit of gentleness. So there's an identifying of transgression and wrong, and then there is what Paul goes on to say next, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. I distinguish myself from that person and I say, here's how they're going astray and I'm not going to do that. And so we are called to be critical in that sense. Philippians 3.2, look out for the dogs, look out for evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Hmm. Judge and stay away is what Paul is saying. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. We are not prohibited from using our minds to make value judgments and discern. That is encouraged. What is prohibited, though, is this. A habit or a lifestyle of fault-finding and criticizing. The Bible scholars call this censoriousness. And I'm not going to use that word more than once because it's kind of like, ooh, fancy, and I, I, it just doesn't feel right in a sentence to me. But that's the, the, uh, the, the, the term here. The art or practice or habit of censoring someone, censuring them and saying, we judge you. You are labeled. It's being harshly critical, fault-finding. Carping is another uh, synonym there. What, let's, let's put some flesh on that. What does it look like? It's the practice of openly discussing the flaws of others. The practice of implying that others are immature because of their struggles. The practice of treating the struggles of others as the topic of casual conversation. The practice of solving the problems of others in conversation, but never going on and telling them or sharing with them. The practice of secret discussions about others. The practice of telling someone off emotionally with harsh words when you confront them. Because you've discussed their problems over and over and built yourself up to and 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 an emotional explosion, and they haven't the faintest clue what's going on. The practice of judging people harshly, of negatively drawing out their, their faults, destructively sharing them with other people, taking joy or making it a habit of constantly seeking out and discussing the faults or perceived faults of others. 
judging is the practice of assigning the worst possible motives to people always, of being ungenerous towards their mistakes, of pouring cold water on their plans and saying no, 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 <laughs> reminding them and everyone else of their flaws. And finally, judging is the practice of defending all of these things, of masking them and pretending that they are spiritual and mature. That's judging. I think there's probably not a single person in this room who has reached their age and stage of life. The older you get, the more likely it is that this has happened, that you have been on the receiving end of this kind of judgment and you have felt the damage and you can see or perhaps relive the smoking crater this behavior left in your soul when it happened. Jesus forbids it. And yet, I think of all the commands of Jesus, it is possible that this is the one that is most ignored and neglected. Go ahead and challenge me on that. I won't judge you. I'll just I'll say, yeah, it's true. Anyway. Well, Let's put some basis behind this. How do, we, how do we know that this is so? Well, we have these words of Jesus prohibiting judging and then his expansion on them, which we'll get into in a moment. But look at Romans 14.10, where Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. It is God who will ultimately judge. He then says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We'll talk more about that in just a moment, about the, one of the problems that is inherent when we judge others. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? It is not wrong to say, I am not going to live my life like that. It is wrong to say, that person is a loser. That person is immature. That person is this. That person is that. And to make that the topic of conversation. And then never to go the distance and share it with someone else. Let's, let's talk about why judging is for, forbidden. <coughs> First, as we've seen, no man can judge another. God is the judge. God is the one who ultimately renders the verdict on a person's life and says, this person is good and this person is evil. And we understand the gospel means that, that yes, we have done wrong and we have done things which are worthy of judgment, but it is God who judges us and he puts our sins on Christ if we put our faith and trust in the gospel and we receive Christ's righteousness and we have no idea who God has saved we have no idea who God is working in we have no idea who God is drawing to himself 
We can truly never say that we know the whole facts or the whole sense of an, some other person. Samuel went to meet the sons of Jesse, and he judged over and over again, surely this one is the king, surely this one is the king. But God said no to each one. Don't judge based on the outside appearance. Don't judge on the evidence that you can see. The man looks on the outside appearance, God says, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he chose David, voted by David's family as least likely to succeed, least likely to be chosen by a prophet as king. And David was the one who was the king the man after God's own heart. We can never know the whole facts of the whole person. It's also impossible for any human being to be strictly impartial in his judgment. We see in a way that means that we are generous and kind with our own flaws and generous and kind with the flaws of our allies, but vicious and cruel with the flaws of our enemies. We can think of Thousands of reasons why this person deserves to be exposed or damaged or suffer loss or have a flat tire. You know, we're like, that person is bad, but if they're in our tribe or in our group, then we want good things for them. That exposes that our scales, right? We are not that, that lady in a Roman robe holding the scales, you know, with the blindfold. We've got our finger on one set of scales, right? And we are tipping the scales in the favor of ourselves and our friends. Because we are not truly impartial. And finally, we lack the goodness to be able to judge any other person. If we can excuse our breaking of the speed limit at times, I'm moving from preaching to meddling here. If we can excuse our own ba bad behavior and then inwardly say, look at that person driving, breaking the speed limit. When we've done the same, then we are confessing that we lack the goodness to judge someone else. No one person can judge another. Paul says, I believe it is in 1 Corinthians who are you to judge another man's servant? The Lord is the one who judges his servants. We have a mission, and we miss it if we fall into judgment. Judgment as a habit, this idea of fault-finding and gossiping that's associated with us making value judgments of other people causes damage. Let me just share four ways in which it causes damage. This habit of fault-finding depresses those it is directed against. You find out that someone has said, oh, Keith is this or that, and you're like, oh, maybe I am that. Maybe I stink. Maybe I'm horrible, right? The truth is, you're probably not as horrible as you could be, right? You don't, you don't intentionally wake up every single day and say, how can I do the worst possible things today? No, you might be kind of horrible, but that's the price of admission into the gospel community is admitting your own sins. But you know what? You're probably not as bad as you think you are on a regular basis. You know? And so why would you put a weight around someone's neck by judging them? You know what's a difficulty, I believe, with words is they have an enormous shelf life. 
In a moment of anger, you can say, you are a horrible person. And that person will then wear that and keep it on their internal shelf like a trophy. And your shelf life on that might have been, oh, I only meant it because I was angry, but it sticks with them for the next 20 years. You never intended it to live that long. You thought the expiration date on that might be somewhat closer to the lifespan of milk, right? But no. It's like uranium. It has a ha uranium will still be here like billions and trillions of years should the Lord tarry. It's going to be around forever. But Jesus will come back and, and scientists will have to answer questions about uranium. Anyway, um, judging weakens, thank you, Dylan, weakens rather, <laughs> only you, you of all people understand my humor. Thank you. Um, judging, sorry, I didn't mean to single you out there. Or judge the rest of you. See? Look at that. <laughs> Secretly and privately rebuke me later. Um, this, the, the judging of others weakens rather than strengthens community. You know what happens when, when we judge one another? We begin to live in fear of judgment. We begin to identify those who, uh, who judge among us and we say, that's a person to stay away from. That's a person who can't be trusted. That's a person who will damage and hurt me. And that drives me away from you and you away from me. So it destroys community. It increases the self-righteousness of those who practice it. When I am able to judge others unrestrained and unrestricted, I start to get a proud, puffed up, incredible sense of my own self. I forget that other people are just like me. Judging invites others to retaliate by equal measures. What's the first thing that you do when you find out that someone has judged you? You size them up morally and judge them, don't you? Who are they to say that I am wrong about this when they do that? It's like it's built into us. Like when you touch something hot and your arm is like bang and you're like, whoa, what just happened there? And then your brain is like, that's hot. And you're like, the message didn't even make it to my brain and my arm pulled away. We, it's a reflex. It's an instinct. You judge me, I judge you. Jesus points out that uh, this is an incredibly foolish thing to do because it exposes our inner hypocrisy. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Tiffany, can you come up here a minute? I, I think you've got something on, on your face. Thank you. 
Excellent. I Obi-Waned her this morning. I said, you're the only one who can help me. Because uh, you, will, you will instinctively jump right into this, and you will, you will, do, you will do the dance. The, uh, the, the, the foolishness and, and folly is, is kind of lost on us, right? And uh, now maybe inside, you, you're thinking, like, uh, that was kind of funny. Jesus intended it to be funny. He did. He said it in, a, in an incredibly animated way. And we read it and absorb it as we go through our Bible in a year. You know, we're like Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5, and we just like breeze through it. We don't stop and laugh. It's funny, when I read these things to my kids when they were younger, they would laugh about it. Stop laughing, we're reading the Bible. <laughs> but Jesus is pointing out here the fact that, that if we evidence no concern for our own problems, our own failings and faults by not fixing them when they are glaringly obvious to others, as if they're protruding from our eye like a log, it makes it ludicrous to think that we would draw attention to the speck in another, to the tiny defect of another that we might happen to notice. Because it needs to be said or it bothers us. There are, there's a, an intense problem when we, when we do that. What happens is our hypocritical act of goodness, we, we image that we are attempting to be good or we are attempting to do good while we're hiding our own evil means that we lay out to the world a, an act which can be seen as hypocrisy. We're not fooling them. We're fooling ourselves. We're play acting and they are aware of our log and, and we're not willing to deal with it. And so what they see is hypocrisy. Jesus hates this kind of behavior. And you know what happens when the world sees this kind of behavior? They judge the church and they say they just go around judging people and they have problems themselves. We drill holes in the bottom of our own boat. We self-sabotage our mission. When we focus on the speck in our neighbor's eye and we don't remove the log in our own eye, we allow evil to wear a mask in our life and allow it to parade as good, but the world is not fooled. We also have the problem of masquerading maturity. We focus on specs when we discuss the problems of others with others before we discuss them with our brother or sister in Christ. The beginning of judgment within the church in Matthew 18 is this. If your brother sins against you, think also Galatians 6.1 where it says if anyone is caught in a trespass, this is also another on-ramp to this process. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Many times, judgment takes the, the place of, of discussion between Christians where, where, where it's like, have you noticed this? I'm concerned about this. Go talk to the person. It's faked maturity. It needs to be pointed out. I think this is a good method. You should go and talk to that person. When will you do it? Mm, come on. 
I will follow up with you in one or two days to make sure you've done that. But let's not discuss this any further. That's mature. Following through is mature. Saying when you've done that, you know what? You're absolutely right. I will do that is also mature. There's a problem of resisting love. We focus on specs when we allow ourselves to wiggle out of the biblical mandate to speak the truth in love, to go to someone and tell them their fault alone. We, we, we resist love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I will embrace the awkwardness of speaking to someone that I see in sin. And I'll be like, this is going to be weird and I don't like it. But because I love you, I'm going to say something to you. We also uh, embrace the problem of the double standard when we judge. Judgments we render to ourselves are often favorable. The ones we render on others are unfounded often, unjust or unkind. Seneca, the Roman scholar, says this. This just cannot be passed up. You observe the pimples of others when you yourself are overgrown with a vast number of sores. Oh, I love it. There's the problem of fear. We focus on specs when we detach from community or people rather than trying to lovingly question and resolve difficulty. When I'm like, you know what? That thing that's going on with Tiff that I'm like going to try to unspec her, she'll never receive it. So I'll just, I just won't talk to her anymore. You know what? I love her. I just don't like her. Right? We've talked about that. There's the problem of, of carrying around a live grenade. It will blow up in your face. Remember that, that David conspired to cover his adultery with Bathsheba by sending Uriah the Hittite into the battle close to the wall. I think he had to do it twice before Uriah got killed. And then he took Bathsheba as his own wife. And the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David, and Nathan told him this story. There were two men in a city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds. The poor man had only one sheep, and he loved that sheep, and he used it as a pillow, and he fed it out of his own hand and off his own plate. And you know what the rich man did? When he had a need, he had a craving, he had a hankering for some lamb. He took the poor man's lamb. And the poor man had nothing. And you know what David says? This is what David says. As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he will restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and he had no pity. And Nathan says, you are the man. When we judge and judge and judge and judge, sooner or later, it comes back to bite us. When we judge, there is the problem of the reaction. When criticism is offered wrongly or unkindly and the victim's pride or fear are fanned into flame, the victim often makes a moral inventory and focuses on the faults of the other. This doesn't happen when we focus on their dignity and we go to them carefully, lovingly, privately, and humbly confront them. There's the problem of accelerating the pain and the destruction. We focus on specs when we say that we do not have the time nor the relationship to help the one that we judge because we don't really know them that well. 
So we're willing, think about this, to throw fuel on the fire and to point out the flaw to someone else rather than take the time to help them by putting the fire out. There's the problem of more judgment. The log holder is a hypocrite because he deceives himself, playing a part even though he doesn't fool others. Others see the, 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 the judger as unjustified, but the judger does not see themselves nor their behavior as unjustified. And so the one offering the criticism is judged. Judging increases judgment within the world. And then there's the final problem that I was able to come up with, and that's the problem of general unimpressiveness. Listen, Aaron Rodgers was doing everything he could last season. He can't play the game all by himself, right? It is the Packers, not the Packer, okay? But he was still unimpressive. <laughs> you should have come to me in private with that. But listen, Television audiences are full of people who are loudly critical, yet on the field, they themselves would be relatively unimpressive, would they not? Oh. Every group or state or family or church is full of people who criticize from their seat or their Facebook account, but they never dream of taking up the mantle of responsibility and helping out. They are, they, they, that's just, it's, 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 it's why would we criticize? Listen, this is why we criticize because it's part of our nature. It is human nature and we are better than that. And so if because of the gospel, we are then willing to confront one another in a loving way and to pull them aside and to say, brother or sister, I could be wrong. Please forgive me if I am. I see this in you. Is it true? Can I pray for you? Can I help you? Judgment unconfronted is a film that limits our visibility and obscures our mission. The disciples of King Jesus are to be critical of self, but not of their brethren. The group is to be noted for their bond of unity, a kingdom characterized, Isaiah 9-7, by peace, which is demonstrated by a lack of criticism. When we are clouded by judgment, we miss our mission, and our mission is to help one another. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When I judge them, when I judge that person and say, they have a problem, and we wall that person off, I am then not able to help them or to restore them. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. How can I help you, brother or sister? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I judge and I think that I am better when I am not. I am your brother. You are either my brother or my sister. 
And we ought to see ourselves as that and not as superior and inferior. Each one ought to test his own work, Paul says in Galatians 6. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. I need to focus on my life and my holiness and my faults and my flaws because my primary mission with regard to my own holiness ought to be to get the log out of my own eye so that I can then help my brother and sister not neglect my log and point out their speck. That's the mission. And when we focus on judging and we fail to remove the log, we forget that we are brothers and sisters who are there to help one another. Listen, if we just hear don't judge, we miss the point. The point is don't judge, focus on self, remove, log, help brother and sister and do it in humble, loving, a humble and loving way. We have a mission to be loving. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Learn to say, there but for the grace of God go I. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Remove the log in a spirit of humble repentance. Jesus is not saying that we should suspend our critical faculties, turn a blind eye to the faults of others, fail to ever point out any wrong in anyone to them, refuse to discern between truth and error, good and evil. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he's not calling us to be blind, but he's pleading to us to be generous and commanding us to be helpful and loving and kind. We move from a place of moral superiority to a place of humility, and we move into helping our brother because we have a responsibility. We lovingly go to our brother and in humility reprove and correct their behavior. This is the thing about specs. They don't belong there. They're painful and ultimately dangerous. But we have a responsibility to approach each other properly. What is forbidden in this passage? Correcting others with no intention of correcting ourselves. John Chrysostom, old dead guy of the church, says, correct your brother, but not as a foe, nor as an adversary exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicines. And John Stott follows through by saying, no, as a loving brother anxious to rescue and to restore. When we see clearly, we can help others. We see clearly by judging ourselves first and foremost. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Judge not that you not be judged. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Hard words are sometimes necessary. Someone might need to say to you, you are stupid. Change your wiper blades and fill the washer fluid. And then you will be like, what is this 
what are these things that I can see? It is amazing what we can see when we, when we clear things up. Let us in humble service and love to one another serve each other for the advance of the kingdom, for the glory of God, for our joy, and for the holiness of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's follow Jesus' command and advance his kingdom as he works through us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you confessing who among this group, Lord, is unable to say that they've never done this. It is part of human nature to prefer ourselves and to judge others. We, we come before you and we admit this is wrong. We are thankful for the gospel, though, that, that this sin, this habit put on Jesus on the cross is forgivable, that it is covered by your grace, that you show compassion <coughs> and love and kindness towards sinners, putting your finger on the sin and pressing that we might say, I see it and I repent of it. And when we do, you show us kindness and grace. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who has not put their faith and trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins, I pray that they would do that. And Father, if there's anyone here who's either made it a habit of judging or who has refused the ministry of the Spirit when he has pointed out our sins at times, I pray that we would humbly repent, resolve by your grace to strive towards holiness, commit to consistently admit that it is wrong, to ask those who we gossip with to stop, to correct us when we begin. May we make a covenant with those who we love that everyone else's reputation is safe with us all the time. And in grace, may we serve you. Father, you've given us an incredible mission to love and to care for one another. We pray that we would do that for your glory, for our joy, and for our greater increased effectiveness and holiness. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.